Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. in the basement and when you produce bucks in the basement because that's something that happens now every once in a while we sit down here at the nine foot homemade oak bar and and craig puts the show together and sometimes i put it together and i think you're doing a great job but you're nervous about it why are you so nervous about taking the helm every once in a while on this man i don't know i i think that just because dude you're a professional and i'm an amateur so i'm i'm at most maybe going to be a replacement level player your war is much higher as a producer and editor and a lot of times people say as a speaker they can tell you were in radio for years and that i'm just some jamoke that comes into your basement some jabroni some jagoff that, that comes to talk pirates so i love how you went with three different jays there i mean that right there shows your improvement as a broadcaster you you sat there and you went with three different descriptors and yet they were all j words i love it that was awesome see look how far you've come over the last couple of years and and i'm looking to see how we're going to do here in this off season as as the pirates get ready to walk into an offseason here, Bucks in the Basement will stay with you throughout the entire thing. Let's be honest, uh, everybody's going to be talking Steelers football. They've been doing that for a while now. Everybody's going to be focusing on other things. You want to talk Pittsburgh Pirates baseball, you come to Bucks in the Basement. Uh, each and every offseason, we just see more and more people find this show and grow with us. We don't have an offseason on this show. There's so much to talk about, so many things to prepare for. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on Ben Charrington saying that his position players, I can't remember if he said all of them or the majority of them or the lion's share of them or however he phrased it, are already part of his organization. And I thought that wording was interesting because it gave me the picture of he's not just talking Major League roster. He has in his mind his basic starting nine. And some of them might be prospects and guys that are on the cusp that he's expecting to go into spring training, show something, and make the team, if not when they break camp, to be up within a month or so afterwards, and you're going to start to see this team come together on the field. Is that what you thought? Yeah, and he also you know, made a little bit of a mention about you know, pitching. He, he was talking about almost like a, a Quintana-type signing again, which sent people off the rails, but we've talked about this before, Chris. If it's a Quintana-type signing or a... Tyler Anderson, yeah, I'd like to maybe see somebody that could do it for, you know, more than one year. But as the prospects that he is, you know, building and bringing up through the minors start to make it to AAA, you see, you know, a Quinn Priester, 
Uh, Andy Rodriguez. Uh, Henry Davis is out in the Arizona Fall League right now. Uh, he's brought up G1 Bay. You know, finally, G1 Bay had been injured for, I think it was like the last week of July and the first couple weeks of August, but now he's up here. Uh, bringing Rodolfo Castro, Jack Sawinski, Cal Mitchell. I haven't seen Swaggerty, and, and Swaggerty didn't show very much to to really be brought up, but I could kind of see that. And, and before the show, we were talking about, you know, where people wanting to bring back Ben Gamble and where Ben Gamble fits. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't want to, to crown or to pen in, you know, Jack Sawinski as a starter for next year. Um, but it seems like Ben Charrington does. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good things that Jack has done. I think he's been great on defense. The dude has a lot of power, but he goes on these streaks and these, his K rates up there, um, up over 30%, doesn't walk a whole lot. That kind of puts me, it concerns me a little bit, but I mean, I think at this point in time, he's he's going to take those prospects that he's, you know, he's got that big thing where it's, what is it? It's, 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 it's identify, acquire, develop, and then, you know, put them into the lineup. And I think he's really starting to do that. So I, I think he's going to be very cautious as to, you know, not blocking, you know, a Luis Ortiz or a Quinn Priester or a Michael Burroughs. Uh, in the starting rotation and hopefully still making them earn it and also not you know going out there and blocking because here's the thing is Travis Swaggerty was was one they were ex- extremely high on and you know maybe just didn't perform as well this year Kenan Smith and Jigba got injured as soon as he came up so he's going to come back and be healthy so it's almost like he doesn't want to bring in players to fill holes where there may not be holes. The one place they're going to have to fill in is, is going to have to be first base. They don't have a first base prospect who is MLB ready. Mason Martin is not. Malcolm Nunez, who they acquired. I mean, we'll see what he does in spring training. That's your that's your position that you go get the veteran hitter we talked about a couple shows ago. Where I said you got to bring in a professional baseball player that hits the ball really hard. That's going to be um, a, a cog in your lineup and can play the position properly. And you, you're you going to have on your team with that veteran presence, and that player is going to be here for three to four years and be part of your window. That That's the signing that you make in the offseason. And there are plenty of guys that are candidates for that that don't need to be at the top of the position when it comes to free agency because I think that the first base market is going to be absolutely flooded with talent. When we get into this off season, I really, do. you see all kinds of guys coming loose. I mean, what the heck? Look at, look at the press conference yesterday in Chicago, non-committal on whether or not they're going to keep Jose Abreu around. Look at Anthony Rizzo coming clear. There's a bunch of guys with the, with that one B next to their name that you could be like, Hey, plug in a veteran for a couple of years here on this team that hits professionally and brings a veteran presence to our team. And if it's not that name, I'm just picking names out of a hat right here. There are an awful lot of guys that play that position. Bucks in the basement is brought to you proudly by yins, three dynasties, one brand yins, the brand for Pittsburgh sports. If you go to their website right now, they have an offer for 20% off first time uh, buyers 
on the website. It's got that beautiful Y on there. Craig never puts the hat down. I think he goes to sleep with it on his head. There's a link inside of the show notes. There's a link on the bucksinthebasement.com webpage. And you can also just go directly to shopyins.com. Yins has two Zs in it, the proud sponsors of Bucks in the Basement. But I think first base is not going to be a hard thing to fill. And in all honesty, I feel encouraged by the idea that if the Pirates are going to go out and have to fill anything, it's a very easy position to fill. You should be able to find a talent, and you don't need to find a reclamation project anymore. Because if, if Ben Charrington's doing what I think he's doing, 2023 is the year you let the kids play. 2023 is when you hope you finally start to see the end result, or at least the beginning of the end, of your rebuild, where you start to have guys go out there and get their at-bats, learn how to play with each other, learn how to compete, and actually move up a little bit in the standings, right? I mean, here's a team that might compete. If you do it right, you could at least be sniffing 500 all year long, right? You could have a couple of good months. You could get off to a quick start. You can have a big month of July and August. You can give hope to your team. You could start to figure out who's going to be there and who's going to get replaced by the next guy coming along in the pipeline because the Pirates have kind of set this up now, especially in the outfield. And, and that's why I don't know if Ben Gamble is that important. I mean, I, I, I'm not opposed to him coming back. But in the outfield, if Zawinski doesn't work out, it's not like there's not another guy coming up and another guy coming up and another guy coming up. They've got an awful lot of talent down there that is going to move through the system over the next couple of years. So this is when you want to find out, is this guy the guy or is there somebody else coming along? And and making first base the position you have to address. Seriously, it may be one of the easiest positions to find a free agent in all of Major League Baseball. A guy that stands over there, catches the ball when they throw it over, can play halfway decent defense and hits the ball and sits in the middle of your lineup. You, there, you take your pick. There are teams that have too many of them that they're trying to get rid of them. There's all kinds of those guys out in Major League Baseball. So I think they're set up pretty well. I mean, I'd be far more concerned if it was like, well, man, we don't have a shortstop. You know, who's going to play center field? Do, 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 we have a, uh, do we have a catcher of the future still? I mean, we do. You're not going to get to him this year. But th- those are the things I'd be more concerned about than first base. Yeah, first base uh, seems to be where, you know, even the Pirates like kind of like doubled down this past year. And, and we talked about that before of, of getting a, you know, Yoshi and also getting Daniel Vogelback and allowing Daniel Vogelback just to be pretty much a DH. I mean, if they really wanted to, I mean, Milwaukee had... Daniel Vogelback play first base majority of the time the year before. Like, the dude could do it. The Pirates just basically chose not to do it, and it's not like Daniel Vogelback was on any Pirates fan, radio, podcast. It, it, it wasn't on the radar, and it didn't make it a bad signing either. It's just a, a position where, you know, a lot of people kind of, end up gravitating towards somebody that doesn't have an arm that can't play in the outfield kind of goes to first base and and you don't know enough about the intricacies of every single team out there of you know who's their number one first baseman who's a number two who are they gonna you know non-tender and it's not non-tendering because you know the guy's not worth the money it's non-tendering because they're going into either a rebuild and they're cutting down on costs i mean there's so many different things that could happen uh within major league baseball and a guy that you think you may have to trade for or a guy that you know may think 
be out of your price range could end up coming into it depending on what the market is and depending on, you know, age, different types of stuff. I mean, there's not too many people that come up through the systems across Major League Baseball that they are, here's your first baseman. It ends up being somebody who ends up moving to the position or becomes comfortable in the position. So, yeah, I, I'm not really worried about first base. It kind of seems like, and you said like catcher, we have, you know, Endy and we have uh, Henry Davis down there. It kind of seems like the writing's on the wall. Uh, Greg Brown's brought it up a bunch of times during the broadcast. Uh, they started showing like the the media department for the pregame and stuff is showing Roberto Perez out there running. I, I have no problem. Uh I just know he's probably not going to be healthy. So hopefully at least one other catcher comes up at some point in time. But I think Ben Sherrington, once again, if Roberto Perez would be hurt for any extended period of time, he was fine with Jason DeLay and Tyler Heineman. And I mean, maybe Andy towards the end of the year or something. So, I mean, like you said, first base and then the outfield, like I just basically said, Jack Sawinski, I want him to get back to the player he was when we picked him up. And I've described him as this a couple of times on the show. And I said, I, he was a, he was a slap hitter with some pop. And he was a guy that I saw being like a 10 to 15 home run kind of guy. And I've kind of seen him sacrifice, you know, some of that contact for this power. And a lot of people will be like, well, you know, he's, got 19 home runs and he wasn't even up here the entire season and you know I feel like that that kind of clouds you know people's judgment to to a certain degree which I mean he had three home runs in that one game that I missed two of them I mean go back and listen to it it was Father's Day episode it was it was kind of funny but he's been the same player pretty much across the board for the year uh, he did have those 14 home runs before he was sent back down, uh, 250 plate appearances since he's been back up, 113 plate appearances, five home runs. But the beginning of the season, it's like a 716 OPS. And then since he's been back up, it's like a 679 OPS, still striking out over 30% of the time, not really walking a ton. So, I mean, it's kind of like, where do you want to find that balance with Jack Swinski? Dude's defense is, he's actually a very strong defender, good arm, covers a lot of ground, can play both of the corner outfield positions. I just, for me, that I, I know batting average doesn't matter as much anymore, but 198 first half of the year, 204 the second half of the year, it's got to be a little bit higher. And I, I would actually be kind of okay with sacrificing what it seems like he's giving up for a little bit of the power in order to bring up the on-base percentage and bring up the batting average just to like a little bit of an acceptable range. And honestly, I don't think you're going to lose too much of the power because he kind of discovered that before last year. I had like 16 home runs in the minor leagues last year where he hadn't hit that many before. So I think I'd be okay if he's like a 15 home run guy and provides decent defense and has a little bit better of a batting average because that's the player I saw when we got him. And I just feel like he's kind of selling out 
it too like too much he's like going going too far to one side if you know what i mean chris i think you're over analyzing jack Sawinski. I, 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 I think there's something with you and Jackson Winsky you just can't get enough. I think you just stare at him and you're, you're trying to figure out every little thing about a guy who's only 23 years old and is young. And you got a lot of guys like that on this team, and that's why he's going to play. And that's why they're going to give these guys an opportunity to either see if they can sink or swim. This is the stage where you've got to see what you have. You don't know what he is yet. You saw what he is at 23 years old in this first season you have no idea what he's going to become. Most Major League Baseball players, unless there's some superstar pedigree, take a few years to actually hit that point where they figure it out. I mean, I want to say that a lot of studies have said uh, 26, 27 years old is when they really come through. Some do it a little bit earlier. But there's a curve where they may come up, they may play for a while, they may play a lot of AAA, they may go back and forth, and then all of a sudden it clicks for him at the plate. I don't think his book is written yet. I think you just got to sit back with him and a lot of other players. You just don't know yet what everybody is. And I think that's what 2023 is going to be. And that's why Charrington sees his roster as pretty much complete. Now, back to first base, though. Here's a provocative question for you. Would you want to bring back a 30-year-old Josh Bell and have him stand at first base? Free agent in the offseason. What would that, I mean, seriously, you could sign him, you can give him multiple years, you can bring him back, you know what he is, and he's a free agent in the offseason, and I don't think the Padres are going to hold on to him because after he got there from Washington, he hasn't really produced for them, even though when you look at his overall year, he's over a three-war for 2022. Would that be a guy interested that you're interested in? This is a completely different regime, so they're going to look at him with different eyes, Right. But is that a guy you'd bring back into the fold as a free agent to stand at first base and say, look at this, we moved on from Bell, he comes back, he's had a little bit of experience on other teams, and now he stands over there at first base for the next three, four, five years? I mean, this is a regime that traded him, but they traded him because he was kind of losing value at the time. People can say what the return was, what it wasn't, but he had a monster, I mean, like monster May in, in 2019. But then they gave him 2020 to kind of see what he was going to be. And it was it was pretty much abysmal. And I think I'd have to go back and listen to it. Let's remember, though, that 2020 was 60 games. There were guys that had massive 60-day uh, uh, runs in 2020. And there were guys that had abominations in 2020. When I look at what he did the, the next year when he goes to the Nationals, he hits 261 with an 823 OPS. His OPS plus is 124. He ends up hitting 27 bombs. And then, well, he's still in Washington to start 2022 for his first 103 games, 437 plate appearances. He hits 301 with an 877 OPS and an OPS plus of 153. So what do you think is he about? What is the aberration here? Because in 2018, his OPS plus is 111. In 2019, he has the big year, and I know a lot of it was from that month, but the 142 OPS plus, the 936 OPS. He has a bad 60 games in the COVID-shortened season, and then he goes out in 2021 and looks a lot like the guy from 2019. And for the majority of 2022, before he goes to San Diego and becomes part of something as an add-on, trying to adjust to a new team, all of a sudden jumping into a pennant race, he does not perform in a small sample size of 50 games. But what do you believe he is? Because when I look at his stats, I say, okay, in small sample sizes, I can find things wrong with him. But over the course of a season, 
I see a lot of positives. And and I'm just saying, you don't have to go get him, but I'm saying a 30-year-old first baseman that you know, and now you you let go out into the wind and you got a better look at him when he was playing for somebody else. I'm just, I wouldn't be totally opposed to him coming back. I don't, I don't think you cross him off just because you've already seen him before. I think that's the point I'm making. He should be an option. Yeah. And I, and I definitely get that, Chris. I think that a lot of the people would say, you know, how poorly he played at defense. I, at the time it was like a negative five, negative six defensive run save, negative eight. But when he was with, I, when he was with Washington, uh, he was kind of like, okay, like he was negative one. And then he was actually positive two for his time in Washington has gone back down a little bit in San Diego. So maybe he kind of figured some stuff out there. I think that people put a little bit too much stock into that. There's not too many gold glove first basemen. That's why I feel like the same people or same players are in the conversation every year. Because you're almost hoping that your first baseman has enough offense that you're not really paying attention to his defense. And I think that's what happened in like the second half of 2019 and then in 2020. It was just a under a microscope. It just didn't look good. It didn't look comfortable. I, man, I like Josh Bell. I, I do. Everybody knows that I do. And I, and I wouldn't be opposed to him coming back, especially when you're talking about, you know, one, two year deal. I, I, I three, I don't, I don't know. I give him three years. I I'm sorry. I, I look at him and I, I think to myself, I wouldn't be opposed to a three year deal with Josh Bell with a club option for a fourth. Okay. And take his, take his early thirties right there and plug him in and say, okay, fine. Now I don't have to worry about first base. Cause you don't really have an answer for first base. You know, or go two years with a club option. I think you could sign him. And look, it's not like you don't have the ability to go out and make a move, right? I mean, is that is that like that doesn't exist? The Pirates don't have a lot of money on the books. When you look at 2023, they're paying Cabrian $10 million as part of his deal. Reynolds, uh, 6.75. Uh, everybody else is arbitration eligible. And it, it, I mean, it's like how it was when the rebuild began. You're not really tied into an awful lot of guys. You can just kind of make decisions on your roster. They have payroll flexibility. I know Bob Nutting's not going to spend a lot, but you could still go out and get a couple of players. Like I said, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, you can go out and find a pitcher that can bring a veteran presence for your young arms, and you can go out and find a hitter that can sit in the middle of your lineup and be a veteran presence. And that's, I think, what you're looking for, and I think that's going to come at first base. Have you been to Patrick's Pub lately? Uh, I, I know that... When was the last time you were over there? I was over there on Sunday picking up wings, uh, but I was also there on Friday because a lot of, what a lot of people don't know is they have a, a a storefront out there where you can get a mix and match six pack, and you can also get, you know, some some twelve packs and stuff. If you're just looking to pick up, you know, a couple beers, my friends were having a fire, and I just wanted to pick up a six pack. Drove through there on Friday night. And, you know, just pick that up. And then on Sunday, got my wings for the Steeler game. There you go. It's a great place to watch a game. They're, they're proud supporters of Bucks in the basement. And uh, you should stop by there, see that outdoor patio. It's perfect time of the year. I love the fall. It's the, it's the perfect time to, to just kind of hang out and, and have some fun with friends. And, and they, they're a sports bar, so any game that you want is available there. 1207 Spring Run Road Extension. Uh, get on out to Patrick's Pub. Check out more at patrickspub.org.
So anything that you're looking at right now that either concerns you, excites you, that you're, you're like, I want to pay attention to coming up here in the at the very end of the season heading into the offseason with the Pirates. Well, I got to bring him up one more time, Chris, because... Are you really going to bring up Jack Kaminsky again? No, I'm going to bring oh. up my, my, my boy, Kevin Newman. Oh, man. I got to bring him up one more time, just in case, you know, every time you bring up a player, every time you bring up a player from this point on, I'm going to give out their stats for the entire off season. So we, we know what we're talking about, right? All right. So Kevin Newman, 276 with a 692 OPS, his OPS plus was 95, meaning he was a little bit below average at the plate. Um, and if you would have told me he would have hit 276 over 304 plate appearances with an OPS near 700, I would have said, wow, that's. That's uh, not the worst year for Kevin Newman. It's not exciting. doesn't pump me up. I don't know if he's really a, a part of a championship team, but it wasn't like the end of the world. So what, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, and this is one where I kind of go back and forth because, I mean, I, I was looking at his stats versus like a Rodolfo Castro. Rodolfo Castro has more power, you know, plays second base, can can give Key Bryan a, an off day at third base. I know that, you know, Kevin Newman could play second base, give give O'Neill a, a day off at shortstop. But I don't know. Like, this this is one that kind of confounds me, and I think it could go either way. Well, I would look at their age. I would look at their age. I mean, Newman just played his 28-year-old season, if I'm not mistaken, and Castro is 23. There's, a, there's an arrow that could point up for a guy like Castro, where Newman, it'd be surprising to me that all of a sudden at 29 years old, he finally peaks, or he, he takes another step, right? I mean, that's not normally how development works. Like, I understand that development's not linear, and guys go up and down, and they have bad seasons and bad months, and they take steps back and stuff like that. But by about the age of 26, 27, 28, that's about the time you find out what the guy is. If he's still developing after that, especially after the time that Newman has had in the majors, uh, I don't see, I I can't think of, I'm sure there's a few examples, but I'm sure it's few and far between a guy all of a sudden taking a next step. He is what he is. You don't know what Castro will be in the long term. No, Castro, I think, is is probably in my eyes. I mean, he's 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 in there in the conversation. Uh, it was more of like the Diego Castillo. Like Diego Castillo is somebody who we wanted to be up from the beginning of the year. He was up from the beginning of the year. You know, kind of got demoted because he he had struggled. He continued to struggle in AAA, and since he came back up. He's not even really been playing consistently. And people could put that into it. When he was playing consistently, 208 batting average, 628 OPS, uh, was hitting home runs. We talked about that a lot. Now, since he's been back up, it's been the smallest sample size in the world. Only 32 plate appearances, hitting like 148, striking out. He did get a nice home run. He's somebody I want to be good, but in the end, you gave up Clay Holmes for Hoy Park and Diego Castillo to give them a shot. And I like Clay Holmes, and Clay Holmes was great for the Yankees for, you know, a certain point in time this season. But if you're giving up a reliever to give, you know, kind of two guys a shot that are on the cusp for know whether they're going to be part of your major league team or not that's not a bad idea it's not a bad thing but this is one where it's to me it's kind of between 
And then you throw in G1 Bay. So, I mean, it's like maybe Newman and Castillo are both gone, and it's Castro and G1 Bay. So, I, I don't really know where that's going to go. I just kind of wanted to bring up Newman. He's been kind of what Kevin Newman is. Like, he struggled in, in 2020, 2021 was was hurt this year but like you said just kind of had like a average to below average season i was just kind of looking across the war for the team he's a 1.1 war so he's one of those guys it's like you could have him as a bench piece you could have him as your quote-unquote veteran presence you don't need to sign ben gamble because you have brian reynolds as possibly your quote-unquote becoming more of a veteran presence so I, I just found that extremely interesting. They also have, you know, Tuca Pito Marcano. They went out and got Miguel Anjuar, who plays, you know, outfield and like a third base. But, I mean, there's just a lot of moving pieces here. That's the problem. That's the problem right there. And you've, you've mentioned it now three or four times throughout the show today. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of inconsistency when it comes to playing time. The, the Pittsburgh Pirates organization and Ben Charrington need to enter 2023 with open competition in spring training, but whoever wins it should get at least a month to two as the everyday player. With the exception of a normal day's rest or an injury, it is time to select who you think are your best nine and go for it for a couple of months. And then if they're not any good, Bench that guy, DFA that guy, option that guy down, move that guy out of the way, and it's next man up, and then that person gets an opportunity. There's just too much movement, and I think it stunts development. There, There is a point where you have to make an evaluation of, I think this is the guy for that position, and then you let them play. And then if they don't work out, you go, okay, that one didn't work out. It's time to give somebody else a chance. And if you don't have anybody behind them, then you give them even a longer leash when you're there. I mean, at some point, that's the only way you're going to find people. You're never going to find out who the answer is if somebody gets hot for three weeks, right? If somebody gets hot for three weeks, does that really tell you what their career is? It doesn't tell you what their career is as much as if somebody gets cold for three weeks. So you, you have to have a long amount of time watching these guys play. And you also have to understand, especially with these younger players, that if they're not used to 500 at-bats a year, then when they finally are called upon to do it, they're going to wear out at the back end of the season. And you want to get that out of the way now before you're in your contention window. You don't want to go into your contention window and have pitchers that aren't used to pitching near 200 innings and players that aren't used to playing almost every day. Because then you're going to be wearing out at the end of your first run to try to make the postseason. You don't want, when you finally get this thing together, to not have those guys ready. So there's an awful lot to be said for consistency in your lineup and giving these guys a longer leash. You know, have your evaluations, but I at some point you've seen so much of these guys, you have to know. I mean, there's got to be a depth chart somewhere that's got the number one guy at each position going in and who they think is going to compete to try to take that guy's job, right? But you, you've got to give that number one guy a, a chance. Even if you're going to wait till the end of spring training to make the decision, at some point then lock it in and give some consistency. Okay, you also want to see how Derek Shelton does when he's got a regular everyday lineup. The the constant pulling and pulling and changing guys, I think, harms development. I think it's one of the reasons why you see guys in any organization who are getting everyday at-bats or regular pitching in in AAA 
get to the majors and then flounder because if you start taking away those opportunities, you don't give them a chance to get over the hump and get enough at-bats in or enough opportunities in, then they may never translate from AAA to the major leagues and become what you wanted them to be. I think that's that's got to be a focus next year, okay? Figure out what your roster is, but also have in your mind, these guys are backups, these guys are starters, and we're going to give the starters a good long time, a good look here at the beginning of the year and see what they can do. Yeah, I think that's maybe why I keep on bringing up Kevin Newman because maybe Kevin Newman could be that guy that could be the bench piece. He'd be a perfect super utility guy, wouldn't he? Wouldn't it be great that, like, it's like, okay, we need to have rest at second, we need to have rest at short, we need to have rest at third. He's in three days a week, right? I mean, he, he'd be fine for that, and then let your starters play. At, at some point, you have to get to that break. At some point. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say. 